Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill. He and I are recording this show on Wednesday, March 18th, 2020. And uh, face it, folks, a lot has changed since Drew and I last recorded. Quick question, uh, Drew, how are you, Katie and Nova, holding up? We're good. Nobody's, we haven't killed each other yet. You know, we've, there's a lot of puzzling going on, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, online Mario Kart playing mm-hmm. going on. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a very weird situation in LA. Well, that's it. To have no plans. No, that, <laughs> you know? that's it exactly. More to the point, you know, the whole notion of sheltering in place or sh- social distancing in LA. I mean, you know, Nancy and I were well ahead of the trend. We we've been social distancing since you know the early two thousands. Uh, you know, but that's when you live at the end of a dirt road in the woods of New Hampshire. But right. um, but you know, I, I've been chatting with my daughter. You know, she's been talking about it's very different out there right now. Um, yeah, you know, um, and it's also been like raining heavily in LA. It's just it's sort of been very apocalyptic. Yeah. And I, I guess to kind of understand how this this impacts what we talk about on this podcast, you know, animation and the like, I guess that we have to sort of go through the timeline where, in a lot of ways, the domino that started a lot of things falling. Wednesday, March 11th, when Governor Newsom issued that order about all non-essential gatherings of more than 250 people should be canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That's also the day when the animation studios started sending people home. Yeah, uh, yeah. D- uh, DreamWorks, I think, started working remotely. Mm-hmm. And you remember I was supposed to have that signing uh, last weekend yeah. uh, for The Art of Onward, and, and Pixar wouldn't allow its mm-hmm. animators to come down. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. But um, So Pixar was already working remotely by then yeah. as well. Yeah. and so, um, But it's been fascinating for me to watch, for example— I mean, for weeks now, people have been sort of looking at, you know, the live-action reboot of Milan, which, didn't it have its premiere last week in home? Yes. Yeah, I didn't go, because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'll go next week. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> turns out, Jim, no. next week, it ain't happening. No. So, yeah. And that's honestly not a surprise, because given the situation in China where, what, 7,000 theaters were closed? And if you think about the time, the money, the effort— that was put into you know the live action reboot of Milan to make it the sort of movie that would really play in China and really do huge box office and the fact that we can't open this movie there more to the point you and I have talked about it we can't really open it in the states because then it'll get pirated and it'll go to China and no one will pay to see it so the fact that Disney finally on Thursday March 12th announced it was postponing the release uh, and then, in quick order, we saw the what the live action reboot of the Little Mermaid, uh, which was just nine days away from beginning to shoot at Pinewood, UK. That announced it was postponing production on March thirteenth. And then uh, on March fourteenth, you saw, you know, the folks at the exhibitors actually try to sort of keep up and running. So we had AMC and Regal Theaters announce that they'd be reducing the capacity of the theaters by 50%. And with the idea that people who then went to the movies could, on their own, practice social distancing. I was trying to honor Drew because I had not seen Onward yet. So this past Monday, we went to our local Cinemagic the day before it closed. 
and we went and saw Onward, which, by the way, is a wonderful film. But I have to admit, Drew, I was kind of surprised by how weirdly intimate it is at times. I mean, you know, for yeah. for a lot of this thing, it's it's just Ian and Barley and their dad in the van. You know, I, I guess I hadn't thought about that going in because there were all these scenes of magic and battles and that sort of thing. And the fact that it really is almost a chamber piece a lot of the time. Yeah. I think anytime they got too crazy, which you'll see all the crazy stuff in the art of book, mm-hmm. they realized that it took away from the story. So they had to kind of scale it back. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a beautiful looking movie. Oh, and ab- just so emotional. Absolutely. And, and in fact, it lands so beautifully that folks, <laughs> when you actually get the chance to see Onward, if you didn't get out this past weekend where it was number two at the box office, but that was largely because by Sunday, the Center of Disease Control was telling, you know, basically saying, do not attend events where there are more than 50 people in attendance for the next eight weeks. Um, and, yeah. And, and then that went up to 10 people. <laughs> yeah. I think that was Monday that that happened. And and I I was talking with, with some folks in the industry just yesterday trying to get a handle on given again that you know we were watching theaters all over the country close and at this point i think the industry is running at 20 percent capacity and what they were talking about was for example i still believe that story of the christian music star jeremy camp that was number one at the box office largely because churches and christian groups had bought blocks of tickets in advance and from, I guess, the anecdotal evidence, a lot of them didn't actually go to the theaters, but they had sold the tickets anyway, so they counted them. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, Well, the, the, that, that was the lowest, what was it, the lowest weekend in 20 years at the domestic box office or something? Mm, like, yeah. it's just crazy. You, you'll love this, though, Drew. You know, so Nancy and I go to see this, this screening of Onward because the 12 noon performance on Monday just checked the theater and it's closed. But the interesting thing is they're selling tickets now for Trolls World Tour, you know, with how they front load the Thursday night before the Friday opening. So uh, right. I have an option of buying tickets to the 5, the 710, or the 920. But again, that's assuming that this actually does make it into theaters. And and given what Universal just announced on the 16th, you got to wonder why I'd bother. I mean, what did you think of Universal's announcement about effectively streaming Trolls World Tour on, on, on the 10th? I mean, it's crazy because it effectively breaks a distribution model that the theaters have been dead set against not breaking mm-hmm. For the last, I don't know, what, five years, really, seriously. Um, so I, I think it's a crazy move, but I think it's also the right move. I can't quite get a handle on whether it's going to be rental or or sale. It seems like there's a little confusion around that. Well, um, the language that I've come across says that the films will be available for a 48-hour rental period at a suggested retail price of nineteen ninety nine. I wonder if that's going to if they're going to change that. Well, because well, this is how quickly things are moving, but in the in the few days since they announced the Trolls World Tour and as well as some other mm. current universal theatrical movies like Invisible Man and The Hunt yep. and Emma mm. are going to be on, 
They've announced that Birds of Prey is coming, uh, as well as Bloodshot, the Vin Diesel science fiction sort of action superhero thing. Mm -hmm. And those two have been explicitly for sale. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if Universal is just going to have to follow suit. I think $20 is a fair price to buy something. I'm not sure if it's for rental, although I I did love Trolls and would suggest everybody. Okay. See it however they can. You know, I so I, do you remember, I don't know. Remember, wasn't it you know three or four years ago when they were floating that idea of what? Oh yes, what was that called? It was called like the screening room or something. And I it, like Spielberg and Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. and some other people were involved in that where it was like fifty dollars. That's it exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And. In fact, I, I forget who I was talking with about this. It, again, I'm old. I remember when, you know, for example, Paramount got into a VHS and, you know, they were doing things like they were selling the original Star Trek, the motion picture for seventy nine ninety nine, And right. you know, they only moved so many units. So they then dropped the price to thirty nine ninety nine, and they moved a lot more units. And But then they found that that sweet spot really was 1995, that People thought that, okay, that's that's a fair amount of money for a movie to bring home. So just fascinates me that we're, we're at that same price point now. Um, well, I was, also, I was looking up, you know that it, it took E.T. six years to arrive on VHS. So yeah. these, this is much different. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different world. I don't know, totally. I don't, well, speaking of different world, as of, as of Monday of this week, March 17th, AMC closed – all of its locations in North America. But but again, this is the interesting thing. For 6 to 12 weeks. Now, the, the six-week point is, you know, they'd be back open by uh, Monday, April 27th. If we're pushing this out to 12 weeks, that's Monday, June 8th. And, you know, if we're talking strictly animation, at 12 weeks, that means Scoob and SpongeBob, uh, Sponge on the Run, are in that position of, well, what do we do? Do we, you know, we push these out through home distribution or... But the interesting thing is, at that point, though, the two animated features are most likely safe. We've got uh, Pixar's Soul, uh, which is supposed to arrive in theaters June 19th, and then Minions' The Rise of Gru. But, but then you have to factor in what President Trump, in a White House briefing just yesterday, said that it could take as long as July or August of this year to finally get the coronavirus uh, outbreak in the U.S. under control. Um, so, Or potentially longer. Yeah. I mean, I think you're very optimistic about saying those two are safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've never seen anything like this no, before. No, no. But, but at the same time, you know, it's been interesting to watch Disney, again, for example, Friday of last week, they announced that Frozen 2 uh, was going to show up on Disney Plus three months early on Sunday the the 16th. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And to be completely fair here, the digital HD version of Frozen became available for download and purchase back on February 11th. The Blu-ray hit store shelves three and a half weeks ago. And with all of us being told to shelter in place, it's not like a lot of the copies of Frozen 2 that are in the retail channels are going to sell. So, you know, in a weird sort of way, it makes sense that Frozen 2 got moved over to Disney Plus because, of course, you have to have a subscription to Disney Plus to to actually watch this movie. So, you know, and that's at least $6.99 a month. 
Uh, yeah. You know, on the other hand. And then they ended up bumping it up a, an extra day. Did you see that? It was supposed to be out on Sunday, and then it was like Saturday. It was like, oh, it's there. Wow. Go ahead. Uh, go enjoy. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Uh, yeah. On the other hand, uh, Rise of Skywalker, its uh, digital HD version was supposed to go on sale Today, when recording, the Tuesday, but that also became available for purchase on Sundays. But again, that's not Disney Plus. That's Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment, you know, the typical thing they do with the digital HD release. But uh, same thing. I mean, I got my review copy of the Blu-ray of Star Wars Rise of the Resistance the other day. But how many of them are on store shelves that people can't necessarily get to now or, or in two weeks time? So. Watch that documentary, Jim. I, it's good. I <laughs> again. I'm I'm not going anywhere. So yes, I'll, I'll definitely take a look at that. Okay. So uh, speaking of trapped at home, we, you know, again, we all want to fly off the Never Neverland. You did see that Disney has cast two young kids to play the title characters in Peter Pan and Wendy, which I guess is the next live action reboot of a, a Disney animated film. Yes, I did see that. I can't wait for this one. Okay. I love David Lowry. Well, I'm so glad you said that because I really enjoyed his reimagining of Pete's Dragon, the the one that got released to theaters back in August of 2016. And and in a lot of ways, this is a reunion of the Pete's Dragon team because what? David's directing, but he also, just as he did with Pete's Dragon, he's co-writing the script for Peter Pan and Wendy with uh, Toby Halbrooks. Is that right? Yep. And then uh, Jim Whitaker, who also produced Pete's Dragon, uh, the reboot, is coming back and tackling the same assignment with Peter Pan and Wendy. But at the same time, given everything that's going on with push release dates and shutting down of production and that sort of thing, uh, realistically, what, 2022, if that, right? Who knows? Mm. I mean, it probably had a release date of 2022 to begin with. Mm. So, I mean... I, I feel really bad for, for David, though, because he, his new movie, The Green Knight, was supposed to debut at South by Southwest, uh, and South by Southwest was canceled. So this thing is really that's right. screwing with David Lowry. That's right. Oy. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, I know last week we talked a little bit about DuckTales when season three is coming back, but the interesting thing is that they've released the titles of the, the episodes that are coming out. So uh, April 4th, we've got, of course, that hour-long special kickoff event so that's uh challenge of the senior junior woodchucks and quack pack but the one that really intrigues me drew is is the next weekend so the one that drops on saturday april 11th and that's double o duck and you only crash twice so um that's reaching quack pack didn't intrigue you jim i i have kind of a blind spot for quack pack you know it's just <laughs> I, I have no idea what show you're talking about. <laughs> Teenage Huey, yes. Dewey, and Louie, I, I'm sorry, does not compute. On the other hand, Double O Duck, I mean, that is the the infamous early iteration of Darkwing Duck before, yep. you know, the Broccoli family came down on Disney like, you know, a pack of wolves. And it's like, no, right. no. <laughs> Double O is ours. Go find something yeah. else. But there was an episode of DuckTales called Double O Duck. Was it really? Yeah, the 48th episode of the original series that aired on November 25th, 1987. Okay, now, so, now I have something to go to YouTube to watch tonight. Yeah, well, they're all on, I think they're all on Disney+. Plus. Oh, so even better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, well. So I, maybe it's a sequel to that episode? I don't know, Jim. I'm just throwing out ideas yeah, here. Okay. 
Let's see. And as long as we're piling up somewhat depressing news here, uh, again, what with you know various theater chains closing, and as well as the Walt Disney Family Museum, D23 decided to pull the plug on its A Goofy Movie 25 on the Open Road Show, the event. You, did you hear about these? They were going to... Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, I want to say there are four or five different stops that we're going to make around the country. That We're going to start on April 5th on the lot in Burbank. And what was cool about this was that it wasn't just showing the movie. It was Bill Farmer there. Uh, in fact, Bill was going to make appearances at every stop on the tour, talking about making the movie. And then, again, I know this is what would genuinely appeal to you, Drew. All event attendees were going to get a copy of the map that Goofy had crammed into the glove compartment, you know, the... Oh, I love that. But but better, it came with a collectible set of three pins. So you got one for Destiny Lake, which featured Bigfoot. Uh, you got one for Powerline's stop in L.A. on his tour. And then the one for Lester's Possum Park. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, this event was supposed to happen on April 5th, you know, the kickoff. So you and I both know there's a warehouse somewhere, you know, filled with pins that were supposed to go out to folks who went to see this in San Francisco and people who saw it in Orlando and, and then up in Boston. Oh, oh uh, speaking of San Francisco, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that because of the whole shelter in place thing that's going on up there, the Cartoon Art Museum uh, is closed through April 7th. And if it reopens, folks, you have to go. They have a wonderful show that pays tribute to Bill Watterson's Calvin and Hobbes. It's all of these different artists doing their take on those characters. And while we're talking about canceled screenings, I think we, we talked previously about the Steven Universe sing-along screenings that Fathom was going to stage on uh, Monday, March 23rd. And Obviously, again, with theaters shut down till the beginning of April, that's not happening. And then there's things like um, Emerald City Comic Con, which was supposed mm -hmm. to have happened at the Washington State Convention Center this past weekend, March 12th through the 15th. It's, it's now been rescheduled for August 21st to the 23rd. But here's the thing. There's a lot of artists that prepped material to sell at that show that now have to figure out how to stay afloat till August. Um, I, I, I bring this up, folks, because if you go over to Twitter and you use the hashtag, and let me get this right, ECC online, all one word, there you're going to be able to see a lot of the artwork that people had prepped for the show. And if you see a piece that you'd like, uh, if you could do us a favor, or if you could maybe buy one or two of those pieces. Again, you're trapped at home and you're bored. You know, again, there's this wonderful book called The Art of Onward that, you know, you could, <laughs> you know, Amazon's- Never heard of it, Jim. Never heard of it. You know, and it just, and, and as I understand it, you know, Drew, I'm sure you've seen the stories that Amazon is now cutting back to essential household items. You know, so it's, you know, food, it's cleaning supplies, it's toilet paper, and oddly enough, also the art of onward. So, you know, just thank God. You know, I mean, again, they've got their priorities right. Um, yeah. Okay. Given that we're talking about the most recent Pixar film, I guess we should also talk about the the new trailer for Soul that just dropped. Yes, let's do it. Okay. Give us a sec, and we'll get right to that. All right. Now, we had already had 
a teaser trailer for Soul. And in that one, we got to meet Joe Gardner, the uh, middle school music teacher, uh, dreamed of being a jazz pianist. And we also got to meet 22, the soul that hadn't quite made it to earth yet. Um, but again, that, that was just sort of teasery stuff. But this most recent trailer, I think, gives us a better sense of the world and the stakes and, and that sort of thing. What did you think, Drew? I, I loved this trailer. I thought it was really, really well done. It, it definitely does give you a much better mm-hmm. look at the great before, where the souls mm-hmm. get their personalities and, you know, all that. Um, it, it might have shown a little bit too much, but I like that they are keeping you on the hook, too. I mean, the big reveal in the trailer is that Joe is still alive, mm-hmm. and so they're going to try to go back. But, um, yeah, I mean, the design work is amazing. You and I, before the show, were talking about the kind of squiggly number counters that look like upi you know yeah uh, 2d animation yeah i love that i love that and you know in in a weird sort of way it's that pete doctor chose to do this as kind of you know i mean face it inside out did a wonderful job of sort of making (laughs) real a very abstract concept this almost seems like he's doubling down I mean, I love the concept of the great before rather than the great beyond. Right. And, you know, very, very much looking forward to this, though. But as long as we're talking about things with incredibly trippy art direction, I I, want to stress here that the trailer for The Midnight Gospel also just dropped. Not for for kids. Not for kids. But again, I have to admit, I really like what I see with this thing. And this is uh, this is your pal Pendleton Ward again. Yes, the guy who brought us at Adventure Time, and uh, and Duncan Trussell. So he's the voice of the podcaster Clancy. Is that right? I or? think it's based on his podcast. I, I don't think I've ever heard it before, mm-hmm. but uh, we should really be asking Alice because she is the podcast. This queen. is true. This is true. Tonight, when we chat, I'll ask her about. I guess yes. it's called the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Yes. Uh, which, given the content of the trailer, it's just sort of like, wow, that's a really interesting family you got there. <laughs> but anyway, I had to get back to Soul. So what we've got Jamie Foxx as the voice of Joe. Uh, Tina Fey is the voice of 22. I've been getting some questions lately, Drew. I, and again, I guess it, it, it's, it's kind of intriguing. The number of folks are asking if... Disney legend Floyd Norman was the inspiration for Joe Gardner. And it's like, um, I've made a few polite inquiries and the pushback is like, no, there were a lot of great jazz musicians that Joe is inspired by. But at the same time, he's, he's, you know, supposed to be a middle school English teacher. So um, this is the first Pixar film with, well, I, I don't know if you can say predominantly, uh, African-American cast because so much of this is said in the great before uh, right. where we're all <laughs> bright yellow and fuzzy. Right. Um, but, but Angela Bassett, David Diggs, uh, mm-hmm. Felicia Rashad, Questlove, your favorite late night drummer uh, is in it yes, as well. Yes. So, yep. you know, it's, it's a lot of good people. Well, again, it's still very, very much looking forward to this one. <laughs> but again, you know, they have to allow us back into theaters to see this. I, I get the sense this is a, one of those movies you want to see in a big screen. Oh, and before we step away from talking about Floyd Norman, the 2020 edition of the Turner Classic Movie Festival, which was supposed to be held in, 
April 16th through the 19th has been canceled. And this kind of breaks my heart because they were supposed to honor Floyd at this year's event. Um, he, w- he was going to be hosting screenings of two of the Disney classics that he worked on, 1963's Sword in the Stone and 1967's The Jungle Book. I'm really, really hoping that this, this particular tribute gets rescheduled. He's the best. He is. No, like Bill Farmer, lots and lots and lots of great stories. Yes, um, I would see him eating lunch. He was at my campus when I was at Disney. Oh. Because uh, he was at Consumer Products, so. That's right. I would often, right. I would often ask him questions at lunch about things, yeah. and it was, very, it was very nice, yeah. I wonder what became of all those giant Disney, play Disney? What was the? Uh, Disney Infinity. Disney Infinity figures. I wonder if they're still Jeez. Okay. I'll, I'll bring one home for you, Jim, if I if I hear about it. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 Nancy would love it. Of course, yes. You know, that's something else to drape excess equipment on. Okay. Speaking of animation pioneers and being honored and that sort of thing, did you see that story today about Ed Catmull and Pat Hanrahan won the computer industry's prestigious Turing Prize? Yes. Their what is it? Their contributions to 3D graphics and CG filmmaking. And now, I, look, I don't need to explain to the folks who Ed Catmull is, but had you heard of Pat Hanrahan uh, prior to this award, Drew? Or I am not sure. He might have been in the Pixar. What was the Pixar story documentary or Ooh. Pixar Touch or something? But okay. yeah, yeah, that that's Leslie Iwerks. Um, yeah, yeah, I have to circle back on that, but. Well, it turns out uh, he was a founding employee of Pixar Animation from 1986 to 1989. Uh, He was part of the RenderMan design team, specifically dealing with the interface and the shading language. And then he was involved in Pixar productions like Tin Toy in 1988 and the original Toy Story, which was released to theaters in 1995. But... Interestingly enough, in 1989, he kind of stepped away from Pixar and, and joined the faculty of Princeton University. And, and then in 1995, he went to Stanford. So that's the interesting thing. He helped get it off, off the ground, but then went back to the academic world, which, again, remember, is where Ed Catmull actually came out of. I don't know why, but this kind of reminds me of the, the story of Tom Lehrer. You know, the, the, the no. yeah, um, he, you know, had a wonderful career going as satirical songwriter, you know, who wrote you know, wonderful songs like Poisoning Pigeons in the Park. Uh, and so long, mom. He'd probably write a great song about the cat's buttholes, too. There we go. Yes. <laughs> if there's somebody who's going to do that, you know. But what eventually happened is that a dean sat him down at one point and said, look, you obviously have a career going with this comic songwriting. But, you know, you got to decide. Are you going to be a teacher or are you going to be working nightclubs the rest of your life? And he he decided to stick with teaching, though. Every so often, for example, I guess for the first season of The Electric Company, he wrote the Silent E song. Do you remember that? Uh, no, I don't remember that. You know, who could turn a man into a man? Who can turn a can into a cane? You know, it just, I mean, very clever stuff. But, you know, just he opted to... To stick with education. So um, anyway, back to the Turing Award. So there's a million dollar prize associated with this. You know, it's issued by the Association of Computer Machining. 
And supposedly uh, they will award the Turing Award to these guys at their annual banquet in June in San Francisco. So why do I think that's not going to happen either? So, uh. Well, also, I want to say maybe Catmull can give the whole million dollars to Henry. I'm just going to say I think Catmull's set for retirement. I think he's good. You know, I don't know. That's just me. Okay. And, of course, the film that helped found his fortune was the original Toy Story. And, and by the way, uh, worth noting, folks, March 25th is the 24th anniversary of John Lasseter receiving a Special Achievement Award at the 68th Academy Awards for his role in the creation of and production of Toy Story, which, by the way, not that animation studio's first Oscar. Uh, that came back in March of 1989 at the 61st Academy Awards. That's when Pixar took home Best Animated Short Film for Tin Toy, and supposedly it was at that Academy Award that Katzenberg ran into Lasseter and began his pursuit of, you know, the, initially it was come back to Disney, direct films. And, you know, he was like, no, I got this good thing with Pixar. And uh, eventually they cut the deal. So Pixar was going to do three films for Disney and they signed a contract or Ed Catmull signs a contract with Disney. Uh, in July of uh, 1991, and some four-plus years later, in November of 1995, we finally got Toy Story. Anyway, have you ever seen this footage from, from John Lasseter at the Academy Awards when he won for Toy Story? I mean, I remember watching it in 95 or whenever it was, but not. I, don't, I haven't looked at it since. Mm -hmm. is, it, is there something to... Well, I mean, it, what's kind of interesting is this is the night that Whoopi Goldberg is hosting the Academy Awards. In fact, a lot of Disney fans remember this because she made the joke, you know, the fart joke to the effect of wait till you see the color of my wind, <laughs> which was appropriate because this was the night that Pocahontas took home not only uh, best song for colors, uh, the colors of the wind, uh, also took home best score that year. But the interesting thing is, the film it was up against was Toy Story. And, you know, it beat out Friend Like Me. And, you know, here we are some 25 years later. And when's the last time you heard Colors of the Wind? Whereas you've got a friend like me, you can't escape. You know, it's just out there. No, no. Uh, but anyway, it was Robin Williams who actually wound up introducing John Lasseter and it's not going to surprise you, Drew, that Robin went as blue as he could, you know, that you know, was you know, talking about in the, their movie Toy Story, you know, where an old-fashioned cowboy doll named Woody. And it's like Robin and the side, what? I had a Woody as a child. What a fun it was to play with in the morning. Uh, and God. Just, yeah, I mean, but again, that's Robin. Um, and then, you know, so John starts his speech and, and he, he comes on stage carrying the dolls for Buzz Lightyear and Woody and, you know, sets them down on, on the table in front of the, the special Academy Award. And, you know, he says, thank you, Robin. And he said, you know, I didn't bring these guys. They hired their own limo. It was a real small one. Malibu Ken was the driver. And which just made me think that, well, A, first of all, the, the Barbie bit that got cut from the original Toy Story. Remember, what was it? She was oh, yeah. supposed to come zooming into the room in her pink sports car, but with sunglasses and a leather jacket and basically talk like Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator. It's like, come with me if you want to live. 
And right. I, Mattel balked, not necessarily because of the whole Terminator gag, but they had this belief then that every little girl decided what Barbie sounded like and you know, they d- yep. didn't want to establish anything. And of course, that goes right out the window with Toy Story 2. Jodie Foster. Uh, no, no, not Jodie Foster. Uh, Jodie Benson. Jodie Benson. Yes. Yeah, I think that was a that was a Joss Whedon gag, I believe, I, that, from when he worked on the script. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Okay, and and then you know, of course, by the time we get to uh, Toy Story three in two thousand ten, we do get Ken, voiced by Michael Keaton. But anyway, John goes on to say that first of all, he wants to thank the Academy for their longtime support of student filmmakers and of short films because in a weird sort of way, that's what put a lot of the team at Pixar on the map. I want to say Pete Docter took home a Student Academy Award, and I, I think Andrew Stanton did. And that's actually the other thing that's really kind of cool about what John does on stage is that he, he flat out says that even though it's the first computer animated film, computers alone did not create Toy Story. A group of very talented people did among them. And now he turns to, to Robin and says, okay, time me. And proceeds to bullet train out all of these names. Andrew Stetton, Pete Docter, Joe Ramp, uh, Ralph Guggenheim, Bonnie Arnold, Bill Reeves, Eben Ostiby, uh, Ralph Eggleston, Peter Schneider, Tom Schumacher, and Michael Eisner. Because, of course, you want to say nice things about the people who cut the checks. Uh, and then, you know, also mentions his loving wife, Nancy, and my lucky stars, my sons, Joey, Bennett, PJ, and Sam. And just sort of summed up with, it's because of these people, the sum of all these brilliant parts that it's the reason the Toy Story carries a human spirit that shines even brighter than its computerized glow. And so he said, I thank the Academy, the Board of Governors, and all the audiences around the world for recognizing that it's light. Thank you. And then John turns and steps off stage and leaves not only the Academy Award, but Buzz and Woody. And this is, I think, why a lot of people remember this moment, because they then basically cut away to something that was shown in the monitors at the the Shrine Auditorium. And it's Buzz and Woody now stand up on the podium next to the Oscar. And it's like, how do you like that? He forgot us again. And Buzz kind of freaks out because he looks at the Oscar and it's carrying a sword. And it's like, freeze, he's armed. Woody, grab the sword before he kills us. And it's like, you know, Woody says to Buzz, if I take the sword, he'll be naked. And then there's a lot of dad humor that Woody at one point walks up to the Oscar and says, you wouldn't happen to have a cousin in Cleveland who's a bowling trophy, would you? Uh, and <laughs> you know, I do remember this. I remember this animated bit. Yeah. yeah. And then Woody and, and Buzz begin to fight about who was the leading character. You know, Buzz insisted I carried the picture, so that makes you the supporting toy, Woody. And then Woody fires back as a, oh yeah, light snack. Buzz then snatches. Woody's hat, and then begins running around the, to the podium is like, look at me, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Where's my horse? We don't get to see your horse until Toy Story 2 in Bullseye in 1999. And then at this point, they do the someone's coming and do that thing that the Toy Story characters never do in the Disney theme parks. I don't, you know, I don't care how many people say this happens, but the whole someone's coming and they collapse flat to the podium. But, you know, Whoopi comes on stage and says, what a mess, that Lasseter is always forgetting his toys. And Whoopi wouldn't actually become a member of the Pixar family till June of 2010, which he voices Stretch the Octopus for Toy Story 3. But 
they then do a close-up of the Oscar statue, and and it talks, and it's, he forgot me too. And it's Robin Williams voicing the Oscar, which, to my knowledge, that's the only time he voiced a character for something that Pixar produced. Can you think of anything, Drew? Yeah, no. And it's interesting, too, because I don't know if you remember the lead-up to that Academy Awards, Mm. but Pixar got into a little bit of trouble because you're not supposed to use the uh, statue in your for your consideration ads. And there were these amazing ads with the soldiers, the toy soldiers carrying the Oscar. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. And they got dinged for it. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting that they actually got a chance to animate mm-hmm. and, and mess around with the statue at the awards because they were given such flack mm-hmm. in the run-up to it. So and, and the absolutely weirdest part of this is that immediately after this, uh, Whoopi then introduces Randy Newman and Lyle Lovett, who then perform You've Got a Friend in Me. So basically, there's this five to ten minute long chunk of the Academy Awards that is nothing but a promo piece for Pixar. Uh, I can't think of the last time the Academy Awards did something like this. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's well worth seeking out if you want to go over to YouTube. And again, we're all trapped at home, you know, looking for things to do. So, and it turns out there's a lot of these little bits that Pixar has done for the Academy Awards with one of the more interesting ones. Did you ever see the uh, the piece that was done for the very first year? They gave an official Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Yes, where Mike and Sully and Shrek are in the audience. Yes, along with, with, yeah. with Jimmy Neutron. And yeah. what's fascinating is they had to prepare. The people had to animate first the the characters sitting in the audience acknowledging, you know, they're introducing these characters. And then they had to basically animate two more pieces of animation. One is when they won the award and then when they didn't win it, and that's actually what's really kind of cool about this piece of animation, because for the very first Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, Shrek took it home. And so they cut away to Mike and Sully for Monsters, Inc. sitting in the audience, and they do that that gritted teeth smile and that phony applause, like, oh, we're so happy he won. Yes, you know? it's so funny. Yeah, um, it's really funny. You know, it just it makes me want to see what Shrek would have done if he lost. But Another award that doesn't seem to age very well. Well. When you think Shrek getting it over Monsters, Inc. I no, I, I I get that I do that yeah, but I in a weird sort of way I think what's taken away from Shrek over the years is if you actually watch the original Shrek, oh, all right, some of the animation doesn't hold up, but the story is still pretty solid. Um, I, I think. I could, oh, Jim, I I rewatched almost every DreamWorks movie in the last few weeks, mm-hmm. so I've watched all of the Shreks. Okay. Which was both a more pleasurable and a more torturous experience than I mm. imagined. Well, all right. Interesting question. If you were, get, face it, I'm, I'm not a big fan necessarily of Shrek 2 or Shrek 3, but the fourth one? That one's interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I like what that one does. I wouldn't necessarily put it on a par with the first one, which I think is still the strongest. That's honestly something that frustrates me, that the sequels that take away from you know what made the first film special. We've talked on recent shows about the original Ice Age from 2003, and 
that's actually a good movie. I mean, yeah, okay, the animation doesn't necessarily hold up compared to today's, but it's still a good, solid story. Um, but all of the Ice Age stuff that came after it, it's like a, a wave hitting the shore and pulling sand away. It's just... I agree. I think DreamWorks did that a lot, too, and it had an animated show called Penguins of Madagascar. Mm-hmm. There were still Madagascar movies, and there was a movie called Penguins of Madagascar. It was just, it was too much. But, you know, the, I want to say what's interesting about the Penguins of Madagascar animated series, um, the gentleman who did Kim Possible for Disney, I'm blanking their names, um, they decamped from Disney and went over there to work on that. Well, anyway, okay, so just today, there was some news about Mission Impossible Seven is that the one that's yes okay yes well first of all I guess th- there was some news that broke that suggested that the production had moved from Venice to the UK and that they were beginning a production again and, and that but that proved to be wrong right or yeah it looks like they were just testing some stunts but I mean it was good to see Tom and uh, Rebecca Ferguson back in action mm-hmm. doing crazy vehicular things yeah. I'll take whatever I can get at this point, Jim. No, no. Now, now speaking of which, we talked about your most recent uh, Light Diffuse podcast, the, the John Kroll shows. Are those now all of them? Oh, John Knoll. Yeah, John Knoll, John Knoll is over now, and we're starting our Marianne, Brandon, and Mary Jo Markey episodes this Friday, mm-hmm. which are really cool. Okay. And uh, we're talking to Roger Guyette on Friday, actually, for the show. So he was a, he was the visual effects supervisor for three he just got done with a little movie called Rise of Skywalker, oh. so I think our audience will our audiences will be happy about that. Okay, well, killer. Well, talk seriously. The John Knoll shows are worth it alone for all the amazing 1901 stories. I mean, just oh, I yeah, it just kills me. Absolutely kills. Me. <laughs> so. We came so close, Jim. Yeah. We came so close. All right. So, but again, that they can find all this stuff at, at Light the Fuse, right? So yes. Okay. Keep keep going. Okay. We don't have toilet paper, but we have a lot of great guests. So <laughs> just keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, over an ice side, you know, we do have toilet paper. But again, we live in the, the woods. So, you know, just <laughs> we won't talk about the bears. But as for podcasts, we've got Disney Dish with Lentesto. We've got, you know, Looking at Lucasum with Dan Z, who, by the way, did you hear about his book? Um, I did. I saw that on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Good for him. I mean, usually I'm I'm sending nothing but evil vibes his way, but I'll give him this one that I'm I'm proud of him. Yeah. He co-wrote a book with Pablo and some other guy. Uh, Cole it's called the Horton, Star Wars book. Say. Yeah. No, no. Coming out this October. So yeah. So pre-order that one, folks. Uh, we also have a Marvel Us Disney that I do with Aaron Adams, a gentleman who edits a lot of the podcasts here. We have. I want that with Michelle Valladolid, where we talk about Disney merch, which I guess we're mostly buying online now. Uh, and then, of course, Universal Joint. And uh, when Dustin Fuse next talk, we're going to do the same sort of show we just did <laughs> now, Drew. But, well, that's closed and this closed and that's closed. Um, I, uh, by the way, folks, Drew's uh, Light the Fuse show, you've got a social media presence, right? Or Yeah, it's just Light the Fuse pod. Okay. On all the social media channels. Okay. Yeah. And here for the, the ones we do with the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And also, folks, just a heads up, Drew and I know that a lot of you are trapped at home right now and are desperate to get out 
and experience new things, which is why we are in the process of prepping a brand new podcast, one that's going to take you to all sorts of themed entertainment spots that have long since disappeared. We'll have more info about this show shortly, but trust me, folks, it's one that you're not going to want to miss. So Yes, uh, it will be taking you to all those places that you never knew existed in the first place <laughs> and probably would not have gone to while it was still in operation, but that you and I are very fascinated by. That's right. And I think that, I think listeners will be too. Okay, so again, we'll be back with more info on that shortly, but till then, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.